We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Second down and goal, and here's the pitch to McCoy. Touchdown, Buffalo! Unbalanced again. And a direct snap to McCoy. First down to the five. Touchdown! And it's McCoy. McCoy to the ten. McCoy, third touchdown! You have to say, without question, that they are a strong playoff candidate in the AFC. Here's Gillisley breaking it. Gillisley will score another Bills touchdown. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pal Report. I'm Drew Gear, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder. That's Chris Kruger, my producer. And that was Dick Stockton and David Deal from Fox Sports with the calls. Man. I'll tell you, Sunday was a game. I mean, we all, there at halftime, we were all holding our breath, waiting for the other shoe to finally fall on the Buffalo Bills. And instead, we were rewarded with one of the most lopsided Bills wins in recent history. I mean, this whole weekend was just a blast. First off, Alabama, Saturday afternoon, just dominated Tennessee University. Yeah, we don't don't care about that at all. Roll damn time. Then... Buffalo goes on to dominate San Francisco. Then, later on in the evening, the Sabres just dominate Edmonton. It's the first time that both teams from Buffalo have scored six times on the same day since 1975. That's history, folks, and you all were there for it. Also this weekend, AFC East Bros podcaster Gary and his friends from New Jersey came up to check out the game. And we had ourselves a bit of a, a bit of a weekend. It was phenomenal. So we went out downtown, you know, downtown Buffalo. We got to see Matt Dombrowski <laughs> in his, in his natural habitat on Saturday night. And Chris got drunk and danced like only Chris can. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, check out our Twitter feed and just look for the at video. Rockpile Report. <laughs> just take a look at the video. It's a dynamite clip of Come check me out in my dance factory. (laughs) So, 
We were out until about 2 a.m. on Saturday. Uh, well, it's actually technically Sunday morning. Up at 5 a.m. And shockingly enough, Chris somehow managed to hold this shit together. I'll, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Sunday's game against San Francisco, that was the best tailgate and game I've ever been to. And it starts because I don't have some 105-pound asshole telling me, we're not tailgating till 1030. <laughs> so I can get there at 730. <laughs> And guys, start to get my drink on. Me and my group set up set up a uh, set up shop. We set up the tents, the tables, the food. We got the grills going all at about seven fifteen a.m. You know, we're cooking breakfast. Chris rolled up at seven thirty with Tito's vodka cocktails and a whole bag of sliced limes. And I had I brought Paul's donuts. Oh. I knew we were gonna have uh, Gary at some point in our tailgate because he's a donut kind of sewer. So I had I got I had four different jelly donuts from Paula's oh for Gary God. to sample. He loved them all, obviously. I mean, the tailgate was a lot of fun. You know, Gary and his friends came, and true to my word, I kept my end of the drink bet that we made. For those of you who've been following our podcast, Gary and I made a bet based on the fortunes of Mike Gillisley and James Wilder Jr. And I lost the bet. You know, James Wilder Jr. ended up on IR. Gillisley is now the number two running back. Now, I intended to get him something good, but he insisted that all he wanted to drink at the tailgate was some Strongbow Hard Cider. Pussy. I guess my plan to have him drink something girly panned out after all. (laughs) And then Rico, the vice president of the Bills Fanatics and our Bills Fanatics friend Celeste showed up. I mean, Rico came in from Canada. Yeah, came from Ottawa. It's crazy. We had uh, an entire crew at our tailgate this weekend, and we even got in some Facebook Live action with everybody. It was just really cool to meet all of these guys that we've spent so much time talking to about football and about the Bills and about. It's 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 different when you when you get when we get involved with the, the Buffalo Bills fanatics. It's on it's on Facebook, and you have Rico and Pierre are, are the the two head honchos over there. You got Rico's in Canada. Pierre is in Virginia. We got to meet Pierre at training camp, and then we just met Rico for the first time on Sunday, and it's be- it's so much better to to see people in person to get their personality and their passion for the Bills because I I know that when we met Rico, he saw the passion that we had for what we do here every Wednesday night. No, oh, absolutely. And then, of course, we had the dominant Bills win, which we're going to break down for you guys later in the show. But in other news, Chris, hit it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Rock Power Report fans. That's right. We've got back-to-back episodes of over 200 downloads for the first time since we started doing this podcast almost a year ago. Yep. I mean, it's it's incredible to see how far we've come in just one year. I want to thank each and every one of you out there listening to this right now. You don't understand what it means to me. I mean, the stuff I talk about on this show, this is just the stuff that I would just be burying my friends and family with. You know, and, and so it means a lot to me to know that so many of you just want to hear me talk about it. Or like the content that we put out for you guys. I knew people would want to hear you speak because... <laughs> 
I came to you and I told you, look, I can record you spilling your your Buffalo Bills propaganda on everybody, and I can make it sound awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, guys, thank you so much for just listening to us and for following us and promoting what we do. Chris, fill your hand. Grab a drink. I gotta grab a drink. Hey, and if you haven't told your friends, tell your friends. We never tell people, tell your friends. We never tell you that. If you download it on iTunes, write us a friggin' review. Whatever it is, guys, keep doing it. I mean, from us here, Chris and I at the Rock Power Report, you guys are the real MVPs. Cheers. Celebrate, bitches. All right, and so now, as we uh, as we usually do, we're going to open up this week's podcast with the Buffalo Bills news update. Today, Lashawn McCoy was unable to finish practice due to a hamstring injury. And his Why sta- us? And his damn it! And his Sunday and his status for Sunday is uncertain. Oh no! We suck again. This is a it's it's a very Bills type of development. I mean, this is something that would happen to the Buffalo Bills. Right? I mean, I mean I think we can all agree this this feels like the gut check we've all been waiting for. But Rex Ryan wasn't committal on whether or not he would play, whether he would sit out. They described it as tightness. Okay? That's not a pull, that's not a tear. So it's going to take some time, and we're going to have to see what happens coming into Sunday's game. I mean, ultimately, if LaShawn McCoy, the realist in me says, if LaShawn McCoy isn't healthy enough to go on Sunday, if his hamstring is still tight, considering how his production paled in comparison last year to what we saw this year so far with a healthy LaShawn McCoy, I would be willing to give him the time to sit out in order to get him to 100%. You're comfortable with Gillisley? I guess I have to be. Obviously, because you bought Strongbow. <laughs> oh, man. I'll tell you, I, I think this is a situation where we can't allow emotion to ride our decisions here. You know, you, you obviously want to win this game. It's a division game. It's big. You're, you're going up against a Dolphins team that just shocked everybody and beat the Steelers. But you cannot play your workhorse running back when he's injured, and risk losing him for an even longer period of time than you would if you just let him rest. If we're really going to be a playoff contender this year, we have to prove that we have some depth at some of these positions. You know, so far our wide receivers have kind of, you know, they haven't put up the numbers that Sammy Watkins might have, but they've performed well enough to get us four wins in a row. And I, even- if the running back position has to do the same. I think you got to let that take its course. And even if by some chance McCoy doesn't play as much as it, you haven't seen it at all this year, I'd be okay with Reggie Bush because he loves to bounce it to the outside and get to the sideline and turn up field. You know who doesn't like to go to the sideline is Mario Williams. So I'll take Reggie Bush's chances. You're damn right he doesn't. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But then in other news, you know, we're a little bright spot in the Bills news update. The return of Shaq Lawson. As has been reported for weeks, Shaq Lawson is back practicing with the team. And he looks to join the Bills 
during their Week 7 matchup against the Dolphins. Now, at the beginning of the season, things looked dire at the outside linebacker and defensive end position. I mean, we had Lawson's, we had Shaq Lawson's injury. Then I came and Polly's injury. Then we released Max Stryker and Max Valleys in the preseason. That'd be Eric Stryker. And then we put, um, we took Bryson Albright, stuck him on the practice squad. And then in the, in the week before the season started, we cut Manny Lawson, who was a starter in last year's defense. And then we promoted this relatively unknown guy named Lorenzo Alexander. Nobody knew. To a he, starting position on our defense. Nobody knew he was going to come in and do what he's been doing. He didn't know, but he was confident. He believed in his abilities. I mean, we struggled early, but Dennis Thurman and Rob Ryan have our front seven playing some um, just amazing football right now. And Lawson gets to walk into an ideal situation. He's not going to be leaned on to make plays right out of the gate because we have effective play all over our defensive line. You know, No one's looking to him to be the savior of our defense, which I think is a great position for him to be in considering he's never taken a real NFL snap. Do you think do you think there's going to be certain packages that we see Shaq Lawson in? Well, I don't know. I mean, there's talk about perhaps not rushing him back and, you know, leaving him out of this game against Miami. But I think we need to get him out there and ease him in. You know, maybe 15 to 20 snaps. Get him used to the NFL game speed because our game against the Patriots is going to be the most difficult matchup of the entire season. And we're going to need every ounce of defensive help we can get. So having a healthy Shaq Lawson who's gotten a chance to get his feet wet can only bring good things for the Bills' defense. So we're going to move ahead here to the Week 6 recap. Talking about our domination of the San Francisco 49ers. Now, whether it's ESPN, CBS Sports, or Football Outsiders, everyone and their mothers are starting to jump aboard <laughs> I pegged it last year, and I'm gonna. I'm, we're, we're gonna fire it up again. The Buffalo Bills hype bus. Everybody on, good, great, grand, wonderful. No yelling on the bus. That's right, everybody. No yelling. We're gonna get into the stats of the game. First off, Lashawn McCoy, 19 rushes for 140 yards, three touchdowns, and a 7.3 yards per carry average. That's, that's again, two weeks in a row. He had 150 last week. He's got 140 this week. And he he's doing it without getting 20 touches. Never had 20 touches this season. I mean, It's amazing. It's incredible what he can do when he's healthy. The next stat that jumped out to me when I'm reviewing, you know, picking through all the garbage after the game, Colin Kaepernick, 13 of 29, 187 yards, one touchdown. And one kneel down. We held him for 44%, and then he had eight rushes for 66 yards for eight and a quarter per carry. Now, as a quarterback, that scares me, but his passing numbers were so poor that using his legs is all he really had down the stretch. And then the last one, the San Francisco 49ers offense. They went three of 13 on third down. That's a 23% conversion rate. I mean, that's you're not going to win a football game with that on third down. Not a chance. You're not going to win a football game if you're in the double digits for being on third down and then you only convert three of them. So the first thing I want to talk about in our in our uh, 
game recap here. Defensive communication. Now, like I said in last week's podcast, I was afraid of Kaepernick's ability to hurt us with his deep ball accuracy. Now, I, I always try to start off. I don't know why, but I like to start off with the negative aspects of my game reviews. I mean, now, we have to communicate well against any deep ball quarterback, especially a guy as athletic as Kaepernick who can buy time with his feet. Our secondary has to be able to communicate well and be assignment sound. And they got to try to stop that read option offense. So they have to be aware of all of the moving parts of the offense. And I think that we've done a much better job to this point in the season. But it's worth noting that there was one big communication led to the touchdown pass. The only one that they scored all day long. It was also underthrown. 100% underthrown. I mean, I broke the play down myself. On that play, the 49ers show a trips right formation. Three wide receivers to the right, one to the left. So we bring in three cornerbacks. We get them all bunched up at the line. So they, when they break off, two of their wide receivers go on short underneath routes, and then Torrey Smith runs a deep route up the seam. Darby and Roby carry with their players. But for some reason, Gilmore also follows the man that Darby is covering, leaving Torrey Smith wide open in the seam. There wasn't a defender anywhere near him for 15 yards. So if if Colin Kaepernick hits him in stride, he probably just sprints to the back of the end zone. Instead, he underthrew him, and Torrey Smith still had time to corral the ball in and take the right angle to get to the end zone. I mean, ultimately, that play didn't decide the outcome of the game, but a better quarterback is going to test our communication and execution on defense much more often than Colin Kaepernick or any of the quarterbacks that we've seen to this point in the season. So that play right there stuck out to me as like a sore thumb. You know, it was something that just really stuck out to me as a a poor, (laughs) I guess I just want to say like a lapse by our defense that we can't have going forward. Then you you want to talk about third-quarter play calling. This is the first instance of our new offensive coordinator getting what I'd like to refer to as quote-unquote cute with his play calling. Much like the defensive miscommunications, it didn't dictate the outcome of the game. Ultimately, we were able to pull it out. But it very well could have, and against some better football teams, it could absolutely get us killed. I mean, Chris, you saw it. We came out in the second half and tried to outsmart the other team rather than just outmuscle them, which is what we should have been doing the entire game. You know, we'd run well in the first half with McCoy, and yet we only rushed the... I mean, think about this. At the five-minute mark of the third quarter, we only had four rushing attempts in the second half. That's an entire quarter of football that for a team that prides itself on its ability to ground and pound, we ran the ball four times. We fixed that in the fourth. Well, yeah, we fixed it in the fourth, but a better football team than the San Francisco 49ers might not give us the chance to come back from that. Exactly. If you do that in the third quarter, you also put the game away in the third. I mean, I think that if we had leaned on the running game sooner, the game might have been over sooner than it was. And Shady, you know, his day could have been even bigger. Speaking of which... Shady put on an absolute show. I mean, the guy was a beast. In two games, he's rushed for 290 yards and four total touchdowns. What What do you even say to that? 
elite, you know, these younger running backs that everyone likes to tout, the Ezekiel Elliott's, the Todd Gurley's. Uh, didn't Zeke lead the league in rushing? Zeke leads the league in rushing, and LaShawn McCoy is right behind him as one of the older running backs in football. And someone that has had less than 20 attempts in every game. <laughs> yeah, in less than 20 attempts. It's incredible what he's been able to achieve over the last few games. And it speaks not only to his level of play, but also to the team's just flat-out execution up front. He agrees, given his post-game comments that we're about to play for you. Today, just at the line, I mean, if you want to give any game balls out today, today you need to give it to the offensive line. They whooped them up and down the field. Um, I mean, they made my job real easy. I mean, every once in a while I make a guy miss or break a tackle here and there. Other than that, they did great. I mean, in the show from tape, and they're on the roll. They're on the big roll. So I'm just going to ride that train. That audio comes from buffalobills.com. Now, clearly, our offensive line has been one of the strong points coming into the season. You know, we, we, took the, we went out to re-sign Cordy Glenn. We made a point of emphasis of getting Incognito back into the fold. They, they wanted that continuity. You know, we returned the same five guys. LaShawn McCoy has been playing out of his mind lately, but because of my love of X's and O's, the thing that's jumped off the screen to me when I'm watching film has been the domination by our offensive line over the past few weeks, specifically the veteran players. They've really gotten themselves into a groove. And Sunday was a perfect example of what they're capable of. Capable of. I mean, they're firing on all cylinders out there. Here's Richie Incognito discussing it after the game. Yeah, you know, uh, the whole week leading up to it, we knew uh, we knew we were a better team, and we knew uh, we knew that um, that <laughs> we knew uh, we knew we should beat them like that. But you know, that's uh, that's what the NFL is all about. You know, you got to line up and play on Sunday, and on paper, you may be a better football team, but you got to line up and play. And uh, we lined up, and you know, we we handle our end of the business. Now, that's not just talk. Okay, that also comes from BuffaloBills.com. It's not just talk. There's no bullshit to that story. I looked at the statistics. When running behind left tackle, left guard, and center on Sunday, LaShawn McCoy averaged 11.2 yards a carry and stacked up 112 total yards. That's the caveat to having a veteran group of guys like Incognito, Glenn, and Wood, and Shady, you know, just all getting the time to gel together. You know, once they learn how the other guy plays and once they learn to play as a unit together, it's the results are scary. I'm pretty sure it was on Monday on uh, the Howard Simon Show on WGR that I had heard Jeremy White spit out the stat that the Buffalo Bills average something like four yards a carry up the middle before contact. 100%. LaShawn McCoy typically doesn't get hit until he gets to the second level. And that's something I've seen in my film study is just that he's not, you very rarely see, you know, go back and, and if anyone out there can find an instance of me, I, an instance of it to prove me wrong, go ahead and tweet at me. You know, let me know at Rockbell Report on Twitter. LaShawn McCoy almost never gets caught in the backfield. That's not an accident. That's the offensive line up front executing and doing their job to keep everybody clean and let him find his running lane. And it's amazing what they've done over the last few weeks. I mean, you combine that with the solid play of the right side of the line with guys like Jordan Mills, who was a pickup off the scrap heap. And then you've got, uh, who else there? Uh, Jordan Mills at right tackle. 
Chantrell Henderson. No, you get no. Juanjo. Who's our guard? God, why can't I think of it? John right? Miller. John Miller. So you've got Mills, you've got Miller. Those two are playing very solid football on their own. I mean, he's running like a machine behind the left side, but at the same time, the, the guys on the right are no slouches. And you give the fact that Quanjo kind of acquitted himself pretty well earlier in the season, and Henderson's getting healthy. We are all of a sudden very deep up front. I mean, that bodes well for the Buffalo Bills offense going forward through the season. I don't know about that. <clears throat> Not to be a Debbie Downer, but you know that, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to next Sunday against New England. You know that Belichick's going to focus on Shady because the Patriots game, when we get to it, that might be something of a game where Tyrod has to win the game. Okay, but this isn't about Shady. This is about the fact that we've got five guys in our offensive line who are for the first time in a long time playing like a dominant unit. I mean a dominant unit. They're going out there and punching guys in the mouth. And just they're just feeding them their lunch. It's it, the Patriots. The Patriots d- defense didn't have an answer for it. No, but they gave they, up over a hundred yards rushing. Exactly. Why? Because our offensive line rolled out that they ju- they were coming off a shutout. Don't you they think were we- coming off a shutout against Houston? And we came out there and punched their defensive line in the mouth. They also didn't have Ninkovich. <laughs> Rob Ninkovich. Yeah. Oh, oh, wait, wait, am I supposed to be afraid of Rob Ninkovich? He's a leader on that defense. I'm telling you, next Sunday, it's going to be different. Oh, boy. You, you can't buy in. You can't fully buy into what we've done over the last four games, considering we've beaten Carson Palmer, Jacoby Brissett, Case Keenum, and Colin Kaepernick. Okay. But we me, should win those okay, games. Okay, asshole. Well, let me tell you this. Last night, some troll from New England got after me. He got after me on Twitter. I totally meant to talk, ask was, you about this. I was trying to go to bed. Right? He seemed like a fan. He seems like he was, because I read it. I mean, <laughs> I haven't spent much time on Twitter over the last couple of days. It's usually been a different T app called Tinder. But I read <laughs> some of those like this morning, and I was like, I'm pretty sure this guy like became a fan in like 02. Oh, yeah. He's not like one of these no. guys that was around so, when they had Ron Meyer. So, and- so let me explain it to our fans. So last night, some Patriots fan got after me. And he says, oh, hey, you know, hey, congratulations. I'm glad to hear you guys are all pumped up about your win against Jacoby Brissett, a third-string quarterback. Good, good, good for you guys. Probably the biggest win in Bill's history. My response to him was, didn't you guys just all pat yourselves on the back for uh, – you know, beating Cleveland. You beat a third and then a fourth and then a fifth string quarterback in Cleveland. And you guys patted yourselves on the back and crowed about how Brady returned and how great his passing day was. And then we went back and forth. But at the end of the day, I looked at the stats and, I, and the wins and I said, hey, buddy, listen, at the end of the day, you're five and one and we're four and two. The teams we've beaten have a combined record of 12 and 12. The teams you've beaten have a combined record of 11 and 19. It sounds an awful lot like neither one of us has beaten anybody who actually means anything. Yeah, that's why I'm not buying and into then what, That's it, why I'm not buying into what we're doing until that game. And when I said that it turned into crickets. I didn't hear anything back. 
And so that's, I was just like, oh, see? So that's what happens when you combat hyperbole with facts. The fact is, is the Patriots haven't beaten anything, anybody either. I mean, they beat the Cardinals by a field goal. We stomped the Cardinals. I mean, we destroyed them. So who is the better team? You won't know until we all line up that Sunday. So to hear you talk about Rob Ninkovich is going to be the X factor of that game, I don't even want to hear that. I didn't say he was going to be the X factor. He's going to be playing. The fact is, is that game is, yes, it's a game to watch for, but you can't get away from the game that's in front of us. But so moving on, positive things now. Positive things for the Buffalo Bills. First off, the defense remains stout. Okay, those guys aren't the, those guys aren't screwing around. I mean, it's crazy, but the fact is, is that the Bills right now have held every team outside of the New York Jets to less than twenty points, and it's starting to feel commonplace. You know, they're doing what they need to do. Their defense is handling the teams that they should handle. This is the best that I've seen our front seven play in a long time. I mean, here's some stats from BuffaloBills.com to back what I'm what I'm saying to back it up. First off, red zone defense. We are the number one red zone defense in the NFL. Okay, they do not score touchdowns on us when they cross the twenty the, the twenty yard line. We've allowed six touchdowns on eighteen red zone possessions. That's thirty three percent. San Francisco got blanked. They went zero for two. The New England. They had one possession in the red zone, and Zach Brown just took off Jacoby Brissett's head and got the football back. Not only that, but passing touchdowns allowed. Okay, we're past defense and total yardage is at 14th, but no team has allowed fewer touchdowns through six games than the Buffalo Bills. We have three. We have three touchdown passes allowed. Through six games. Even by accident, you should be able to throw up a deep ball and score on a defense. And that says a lot about how our front seven and our secondary has played this so far this season. We also are tied for the lead league in takeaways. 12 in the first six games. The numbers are just piling up to explain how our defense. And then sacks. We're just a couple sacks away from meeting last year's Sack mark for the entire season, and we're in week six. Rex Ryan finally has this defense tuned up, firing on all cylinders, and playing the way he wanted it to play. And, and I think he's got the personnel too. Oh, he finally got the personnel that he needed, and I think that 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 is going to bear a lot of fruit for us as this season goes on. I mean, who's been playing good that that we brought in this year? Alexander leads the league in sacks. How good has Adolphus Washington been since we drafted Adolphus him? Washington, Adolphus Washington, for those of you who don't know, is actually leading the league from the defensive end position against the run, according to Pro Football Focus. He, Overall, he has, or is that like among rookies? Among rookies. Okay. So the fact that we got him in the third round, that's a steal. But Well, that, that, was, that was the the deepest position in the draft, was the Defensive tackle. Yeah, but you look at a guy like DeForest Buckner, who we just played, who got drafted in the fourth round. Everyone had him pegged as a first-round talent. He fell because of health concerns, and he's still not that good. <laughs> he's just not that talented. 
I mean, the fact is, is that our defense is firing on all cylinders right now. They're doing everything they need to do. And that should give us some confidence. It should give us some confidence heading into the meat of our schedule against some of the tougher offenses in football. And then you got Justin Hunter. Okay, he's the last thing I'm going to point out from this football game. Okay, I don't, I don't like, I know a lot of you are at home are probably like, why isn't he talking about Tyrod's performance? Because in all honesty, I feel like we've beaten the Tyrod horse to death. We've talked about how Tyrod plays. He had another Tyrod day. He didn't turn the ball over. He threw the ball efficiently. He scored what two touchdowns? Yep, Hunter and Goodwin. <laughs> Goodwin at the end of the game. So the fact is, is that. He's throwing touchdown passes. He's using his legs to get first downs, and he's not turning the ball over. There's nothing spectacular going on there, but that's a good thing because he's playing within the confines of the offense. Exactly. You just wait till we need him to win us a freaking game. <laughs> Debbie so, Downer over so here. Justin Hunter. He's acquitted himself well ever since putting on a Bills jersey. And he's been something of a surprise for the offense, which has been starving for a guy who can go out and make a deep catch. He's got two touchdowns in two games, and I've got to say he's exceeded any of my expectations so far, especially after being called out by Rex during the week for having suspect hands. I mean, here was what Rex had to say post game about Justin Hunter. Yeah, I thought he did pretty good. I'm like, there's my guy <laughs> after he caught it. But really what happened in the week, he, he missed two vertical balls. And I'm like, you got to get those, man. I mean, that's, that's why you're here, big dude, big target. And he just kind of, I don't know, he had a little pro, you know, pro glide to him. Kind of bothered me, so that's why I kind of zinged him. <laughs> See, Rex Ryan isn't above tweaking his own players if he feels like he has to in order to try to get the best out of them. I feel like, now, on Monday, for those of you guys who don't know, I went on, uh, I went on to the Locked on Dolphins podcast. And we talked a little bit about the Buffalo Bills and about what they could expect coming from our team this coming week. But one of the things they brought up was that Rex Ryan has done a lot with other guys' castoffs. Other teams have let guys walk, and they, they show up to Rex Ryan's team. And so far this year, he's turned them all into playmakers. You've got Justin Hunter. You've got Zach Brown. You've got Lorenzo Alexander. You've got a number of players on this team who are just feeding off of that. And I think a lot of it starts at the head coach. Gillisley. He Gillisley. had a 44-yard touchdown run. You're talking about guys who all got cut from somewhere else, who got told they weren't good enough, and they come in here with a chip on their shoulder. You know who has a chip on their shoulder? is Rex Ryan. He said so during his interview with Shope and the Bulldog on Buffalo's WGR 550 on Monday afternoon. He said, he goes, you know, the way I am, just my person, he's like, yeah, I got a chip on my shoulder because the way I look at it is my dad's the best and I want to try to be the best. And for most of my career, I got stuck in a division with the guy who is the best. So I got a chip on my shoulder and I feel like I always have something I got to prove because everybody wants me fired. <laughs> the fact is, is that he's right. You know, he, his big mouth has gotten him a lot of criticism. And people want his ass. But when he talks, the way he talks and the way he carries himself, the players who are kind of like him feed off that. And you're seeing it out there on the football field every Sunday. And Chris, can you argue with that? No, I cannot argue with that at all. <laughs> so that brings us to this game's hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week, obviously, 
I, I, I mean, I couldn't give it to anybody else but LeSean McCoy. Because they're winners. Winners get to do what they want. I mean, when I'll keep it short and sweet. When you rush for over 100 yards and three touchdowns, you get the game ball. It's that simple. Then the zero of the game. And I'm going to give that to Anthony Lynn. You blew it! Okay, it's your first time getting it, Anthony. Hopefully it's the last time. Head, coaches, head coach and defensive coordinator jobs are hard to come by at the NFL level. There's only 64 of them. And the guys who hold those titles have to be pretty damn good at what they do. You know, if they want to keep that job for for any significant period of time. So coming out at halftime of any football game and purposely playing away from your team's strengths in hope of fooling the other team, you know, and trying to trick them into giving you yardage is not only an insult to their abilities, but it's also a good way to get yourself in trouble. I'm not going to dog Anthony Lynn for much because he's been responsible for the resurgence of the Buffalo Bills offense. But getting cute in the NFL rarely pans out for anybody. And my hope is that coming into her next three games here, which are going to be some of the hardest games we've faced, he realizes that. Here we got Miami, New England, Seattle. Oh, it's going to be brutal. I know. Seattle is in Seattle on a Monday night. I'm telling you, I think that and that their crowd's going to be fired up. They're going to be loud. We cannot afford to get cute on any side of the ball. We have to go out there and execute with authority, kind of like we did on offense in the, in the fourth quarter and in the second quarter. We have to do that. If not, we're not going to win a lot of football games against these tough teams. So that brings us to our AFC East roundup portion of the show, folks. And we're going to start with the New York Jets. The Jets flew out to Arizona this week to take on the Cardinals on Monday Night Football, and they got absolutely kicked in the teeth. They lost 28-3. to Their offense was listless. They couldn't sustain drives after the first quarter. And even Todd Bowles, he doesn't get a pass either because his, his poor clock management at the end of the first half sank any hopes of scoring before the half ended. It was hideous. I mean, let's run, let's run the stats on this. Since it was such a train wreck, I couldn't stop watching. They held the Jets to 33 yards total rushing. You're, you as a football team got held to 33 yards rushing. I think that that's the lowest total of any team of the 2016 NFL season. Then they only got th- 11 first downs. Let's put that in perspective. San Francisco got blown out on Sunday playing the Bills, and they managed 16 first downs. Somehow the Jets only got 11. Fitzpatrick ended up getting benched at the first end of the first, uh, you know, I guess at the end of the game, fourth quarter. He finished the game with a 54% completion percentage, no touchdowns, and two picks. And you're also missing the all-important, he didn't throw for 375 Again, cleared on Seagram's. Oh, and now that he's benched, it'll never happen. The defense allowed over 170 yards rushing and three touchdowns, and they got zero sacks on Carson Palmer. That when you in- have the line that the Jets have, yeah, that's you should generate pressure and sacks. It's inexcusable the way that their defense played, and their offense wasn't much better. I mean, I remember saying it in an earlier podcast to our resident, resident Jet representative, Kyle Smith from the AFC East Bros podcast, that the Jets needed to beat Buffalo because if they didn't, 
They might not win a single game in their first six. And now here we are. Here we are with the Jets 1-5. I mean, the only silver lining for that football team is that they have a soft matchup coming up with the Browns. If they lose with Geno Smith at the helm against the Browns, I don't know what their franchise is going to do. I have no idea how far this thing goes down the rabbit hole. Up next is the New England Patriots. Tom Brady won his first game of the season at Foxborough, and he kept his hot streak rolling. I mean, he threw three more touchdown passes, no picks, and 374 yards against the Bengals. Now, I don't think that this is an indication that, again, I don't think this is an indication that New England's doing anything right, per se, because Tom Brady is Tom Brady. He's a great quarterback. I've watched him throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns against better teams than the Bengals right now. Something's wrong with Cincinnati. Last year, they went 12-4 and to win their division, and now they're 2-4 and and in danger of missing the playoffs altogether for the first time since Andy Dalton was drafted. I don't know what their problem is. I mean, it seems like their offense has a lot of trouble. If A.J. Green isn't driving their offense... They have a lot of trouble getting anything going. And obviously the Patriots are smart enough to target that, and they shut them right down. I mean, this game doesn't make me feel you know, any you know, worse or better about the Patriots game. It makes me feel worse about the Cincinnati aspect of this. Because Cincinnati, now I look at that matchup and I say, if Cincinnati's that bad of a team, that suddenly becomes a game I might change from a loss to a win in my book. I would, too, if, uh, what's his face? Burfitt is going to be out for his... No, nah, he's not getting suspended. He's not. That's, There's no suspension. That's such... Oh, that's, and for those of you who don't know, the referendum on football. bullshit. So, Vontez Burfitt is known as a dirty player. He was suspended for the first three games of the year for putting a ridiculously filthy hit on Antonio Brown at the end of last season, which I'm sure everyone out there who watches football has seen. So, on Sunday, he put what appeared to be a dirty hit on Martellus Bennett by hitting him low in the back of the knee when he didn't even have the ball coming to him. It didn't and appear. Then again, and then again, it was a dirty hit. He claims he tripped and fell. Then, later in the game, he stomps on LeGarrette Blunt's leg. I think I saw that today on Twitter. Yep. I didn't, I didn't and hear he about claims that. To not, he claims that that was an accident, too. And instead of suspending him, the NFL simply fines him $75,000. Guy's an asshole. He he. For those of you who are Sabres fans out there, he is the Radko Gudis of football, or the he, Milan Lucic. He's of a football. guy who's committed enough atrocities that somebody needs to drop the hammer on this fool before he really hurts somebody. Because there is no room in football for that garbage. There no. just isn't. No, not on any level. Not on any level. Arena, I mean, CFL, NFL. You, you see players after plays, after hard tackles, after games, out there on the field, slapping each other high fives, giving each other hugs, congratulating each other. The fact is, is there's camaraderie between players. A guy who's going to play as filthy as perfect plays, he has no place in the game of football. I mean, these other players have no love for that guy. Because he's out there trying to injure their... Like, it's all fun and games until he's injuring your players. I mean, on the if you're an offensive lineman, you see that guy out there. You know at some point in the game, you're going to have to get in his face about something. He has... Guys like that have no place in the game. 
And I think it's only a matter of time before the NFL is forced to drop the hammer on him again. And I'm disappointed that they didn't take this opportunity to do it. So the bank, going back to the Patriots, they have a, I guess they catch another bit of luck. This week, Big, Big Ben is going to miss the matchup against the Patriots. Right now, it's looking at four to six. Really? That, that's what came out today. All right. Four to six for Big Ben. So four to six for Big Ben. So the Patriots are going to get to play Landry Jones leading the Steelers against the Patriots. So they luck out again against a, a team that probably could give them a run for their money but won't. And then, speaking of the Steelers, Miami just waxed the Steelers this past week to get their second win of the season. They cruised on offense beyond a 200-yard rushing effort by Jay Ajayi. And their defense contained the Steelers' passing attack for most of the afternoon. Big Ben threw for only 189 yards and one touchdown and turned the ball over twice. How much do you contribute that to his injury? Because well, I, I don't know when he it got happened. injured early in the game. There he you did. go. I mean, that type of play is uncharacteristic for this. But the, my bigger takeaway isn't the injury. It's the fact that the Miami Dolphins showed up on offense for the first time all season. They scored points. And they scored points early. They put this. They put the Steelers in a hole, and because of his injury, Roethlisberger just couldn't bail them out of it. Here to help us break down the uh, upcoming game against the Miami Dolphins, guys, we have Vero Delfino from Orange and Aqua. They're a uh, Miami Dolphins publication. So you can find them at www.finslook.com. Vero, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, boys. How you doing? <laughs> Not too bad. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Now, I know from talking to Chris that you're actually from Rochester originally, right? Yep, yep, just up the throughway there. So how'd you come to find yourself in Miami? Well, I never did. <laughs> I couldn't last a minute in, in that heat. Uh, I'm actually in the Charlotte, North Carolina area right now. Ah, so then I have to ask the question, how the hell did you become a Miami Dolphins fan? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> Well, of course, I was, you know, I grew up wall-to-wall Bills fans, surrounded on all sides. Rochester might as well be Buffalo in that regard. Um, and <clears throat> Excuse me. It's actually funny. A long-haired cat is the reason I'm a Dolphins fan, indirectly. It's the, it's the weirdest thing you've probably heard in a while. But to make a really long story short, I was about five years old. <clears throat> four or five years old my mom took me into a pet store i pet a cat with long hair not knowing i was deathly allergic to cats rubbed my eyes and my eyes started to swell out of my head so she had to run me down you know when they finally gave me a shot of adrenaline to take the swelling down and all that they were like yeah better get you in for an allergy screening so (laughs) turns out i was deathly allergic to cats i had to go get allergy shots once a week the woman at the doctor's office was a transplant from Miami, huge Dolphins fan. She had a son who was older than me. So we, as we developed a relationship, she started like bringing me Dolphins stuff of her sons from home and just giving it to me. Ah, so she started bringing me stuff and you're like, all right, the Dolphins, this yeah, lady's and, cool. And, and you know, coming the Dol- from a family cool that Dolphin wasn't a big shit. football family, we didn't have football fans in our family. So mm-hmm. there was nobody to influence me towards another team. And then between that and the fact that, you know, I'm Italian, Marino was Italian, so that was a big draw for me. Isotoners. Um, <laughs> laces out, right? Oh, the um, laces had to be out. 
But yeah, so it, that that is kind of the the roundabout way that I became a Dolphins fan. And yes, I fought my way to school every day um, <laughs> with all the Bills fans. We had a kind of a mix of different fans in our in our school. But yeah, probably eighty five percent Bills. So wow. And so then you go on to create a website dedicated to just talking. You know, whether it's whether it's short podcasts, sound clips, articles about the uh, Miami Dolphins. So you're re- you're really in on this. You're just just a pathological need to talk about football really is all that was. Hey, I hear you. You're preaching to the choir, man. I mean, I do this podcast twofold. One, it's going to help, you know, it started out as an effort to help this guy build a broadcasting portfolio. Two, this is the stuff that I just like whenever any one of my friends would walk up to me and say, "Hey Drew, what's going on with those Bills?" because they know I'm a rabid fan. I would just vomit statistics and just all of this stuff that's going through my head. I would just throw up all over them with it. <laughs> so now that I've got a podcast, they all come by and they, you know, they sit down and we go to the bar for drinks and they tell me they're like, you know, this is the longest you've ever gone without talking football. So like, yeah, because I get it all out. I get it's it all out of my system. system. Exactly. So no, I definitely relate to you there, man. I mean, we're just fans that love our teams and want want a way to feel more connected with them, and yeah, get get out a lot of that. Uh, Nervous energy. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, speaking of nervous energy, there's a little bit of it on both sides of the ball. You know, in this in this week's upcoming uh, week seven matchup, Buffalo Bills versus the Miami Dolphins. Now, sure. I just want to take all of our listeners back for a second. The Buffalo Bills have four wins. This is four wins in a row. The last time that we had five wins, does anybody remember what that was like? The year was 2004. Let me paint you a picture. I was a freshman at Morrisville State College, and I had an afro big enough that I could see it in my peripheral vision because I thought that was cool. So you had a Colin Kaepernick afro. Oh, dude, it was like Colin Kaepernick. I'm not even kidding. If I showed you the pictures, you'd die. George W. Bush was named Time Magazine's people, per, excuse me, person of the year. Okay, George W. Bush was person of the year somewhere. Martha Stewart was sentenced to prison for insider trading. So you've got George W. Bush being put on a pedestal and Martha Stewart's going to jail. I mean, Jesus Christ. And then the number one song in the country, according to Billboard, was Yeah, featuring Little John and Ludacris. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> who, who could forget that song? But that was, that, heavily, that was heavily played at my high school prom. To think that, that's the, <laughs> to think that that is the year that that song peaked at number one. I mean, I can't even remember the last time Little John or Ludacris was relevant. <laughs> Jesus. It's been 11 years since the Bills have had a five-game winning streak. I mean, it's an odd mix of funny and depressing. <laughs> so we're going to move forward here with our uh, <laughs> with our uh, you know preview of the game. We're going to start it off on the offensive side of the ball. First off, the Miami Dolphins and their underrated rushing attack. Now, the Dolphins are currently ranked 17th in the NFL in rushing after this past weekend's just monster performance from Jay Now, that might lead everyone out there to believe that they have a poor rushing attack, but I don't think that's the case. So they've only attempted, after I took, took a look at the statistics, the Miami Dolphins have only attempted 127 rushes, which makes them tied for 24th in the NFL, but their yards per carry have them ranked 7th in the NFL. That alone tells me a few things about the Miami rushing attack. They have the ability to be effective, you know, especially now that the line's getting healthy, 
because they can get the you know they can get as long as a guy has a full head of steam and their offensive line can block they can get chunk yardage on the ground you know it's possible but i think in most of their games they've been behind so much that they've had to settle for passing i mean would you agree with that well i think it's a largely a matter of searching for identity through those first few weeks um, we were so inv- injury ravaged along the offensive line. A lot of people uh, may not know, but that was the first week that we actually had our intended starting offensive linemen available to go. Um, it was actually the first week that we looked like a football team. Now, that I don't view that as a coincidence, but you know it remains to be seen if it's a sustainable kind of success. Because looking at looking at the league rankings, I think is a little bit misleading. Because there wasn't a whole hell of a lot going on those first few weeks. Um, yes, Ajayi turned on. It was like a light switch just went off. Um, but I, I, again, as I said, we had our we had our offensive line getting healthy, and uh, and I, I don't want to take anything away from Ajayi though either because you got to give him a lot of credit for that. He had what 204 yards on 25 carries. That's 8.2. If you rush for over 200 yards. You have to you you give the guy credit, right? He earned that. It wasn't a yeah. mistake. He didn't just trip and fall into a hundred yards of that rush. <laughs> you know what no, I mean? No, I mean it was a it was a real angry rush. To I mean it it brought back uh, you know reminiscence of Ricky Williams almost. Not just the dreads flying out the back of the helmet, but I mean the kid was running angry. Boy, um, and that couple and- of times he should have been down you know three four yards shy of the marker, and he he grits it to get for the first down. So, you know, I don't know. It's like I say, it's tough because we've had such spotty performance over the, the weeks leading up to that. But yeah, I mean, it was definitely something special from him, but as, as far as, you know, can you expect to see something that intense this weekend? That not enough information to really, to really say. Well, the, and you just touched on a point that I want to bring up next is the health on the offensive line. I mean, you just said it yourself. You're talking about the first game, okay? And and so to put up the put up the seventh best yards per carry average in football, that's no small feat. You know, you only rushed 127 times, so you can't really get a feel for what that rushing attack is capable of. But this was the first game that your entire your your whole offensive line was healthy and ready to go. And the results, I mean, I think you, I think it's a combination where you guys may have caught the Steelers sleeping. And I think that your offensive line, when they're healthy, could have more potential than people originally thought of them. I mean, is that fair to say? I think it's fair to say. I think it. Oh well, I think they've got the potential that we expected them to have, and we're sorely disappointed over the first month of the season. Um, <clears throat> nothing was working out, and it was because of the deficiencies along that line, the injuries that we had suffered along that line. Mm-hmm. They sort of dictated terms for us, and really prevented anything from being able to get going offensively. That led to an embarrassingly low snap count for the offense, a ridiculously high snap count for the defense without fail. Almost every single week, we were just getting killed in the time of possession battle, mm-hmm. which is a really great way to lose football games. Um, so, But it started, I mean, that's the cliche, right? Starts up front, but that's really 
that was the problem. And that's where we were lacking for the first month was that we didn't have a cohesive unit that could really carry out the protections and execute the game plan as it was formulated in Gase's head. But this week we got our guys back and it looked like everything was getting ready to click, but you, you hesitate to say, Oh yeah, we're back on track now because it was one game. Well, and that's, and that is fair. It is one game. But another statistic that I'd like to point at that says that maybe this offensive line is a lot better than it's been touted and maybe it's better better than it's been than it performed. I mean, you think back to when Dallas Thomas was still on your roster, okay? You guys played against the Titans and they finished the game with six sacks. There hasn't been a game this season where Tannehill hasn't gotten sacked until this past week. Right. And then to your point where you were saying, you know, the play was for most of your games, the play was being dictated to you guys. You know, you had to respond to what the opponent was throwing at you. This was the first time all season where Adam Gase was in a position as a play caller to call a game that he wanted. You know, he got to dictate the play to the opponent. I think that's a combination of the Steelers came in with a bad defensive game plan and your offensive line was healthy and J.H.I. was running angry. Okay, and, really I, what? and I think up front, the Steelers maybe the Steelers they've got a decent defensive front. I don't want to give them credit for being great or elite. So I think they came in with a bad game plan. I think they expected more of a pass than a running game. I thought I think they thought you'd throw it more, and because of that, they kind of scrambled to cobble together a game plan mid game. But it was already too late. Well, I think we thought behind. you'd throw it more. Oh, what'd you say? I think we'd thought we'd throw it more. I, I doubt even Adam Gase expected uh, Jay to put up two bills. Well, no, no, and I don't think he did either. But in talking, so Monday night I got on the Locked on Dolphins podcast with uh, your friend Ron Caniff. And one thing we talked about was the fact that for as much as Adam Gase has been labeled as like the quarterback whisperer, he's a quarterback guru, he's a guy who does very well with quarterbacks, He's the type of guy who he is going to commit to a running game and he's going to keep trying it until it stops working, especially when he's got a lead. And I think that that in and of itself can make your team dangerous because that's the one thing the Bills have had going for us every game during this winning streak is that we've had the lead. You know, we we got a lead and then, you know, during the San Francisco, that's the first time where we didn't score first. They scored a field goal, then we scored, then they came back and scored. Then we scored again right before halftime, but it was only a four-point lead going into the half. If you looked at the final score, and I were to tell you that they that the San Francisco 49ers had 13 points going into halftime and finished the game with 16, you, know, you wouldn't expect that. You'd say, okay, they put up 13. They can probably get 10 in the second half. But in the second half, we made the right adjustments. The thing that scares me is that you have... I'll give him credit for coming up with last week. Adam Gase strikes me as a smart guy. When it comes to play calling, I mean, what, what do you think about Adam Gase's ability to draw up a game plan specific to another team, just from what you've seen so far this season? Well, I think a lot of people started to have a few questions there toward week four. Um, I wasn't one of them because, listen, man, I've been a Dolphins fan for the better part of 30 years now. I'm no stranger to dysfunction. I'm no stranger to... Uh, Hardship. So honestly, for me, I just, uh, I don't know. I lost my train of thought there. (laughs) No, no, it's okay. I was, I was 
through the. I mean, I don't. Granted, I don't. I, th- I might have watched the New England Miami game because that was shown here locally in Buffalo. But like through the first handful of weeks, watching the struggles that Miami faced, I I was kind of concerned. I was like, I because Adam Gase is such a young guy. I was thinking, I wonder if this is like a like a too too young to hire, almost like a a Josh McDaniels to Denver, where he might be in over his head based on the first couple of weeks. But you know, I was surprised what he that was. definitely wasn't the impression that we got from Gase. I mean, everybody had a really good impression of him, and but I don't think he, even he really understood how he was seeing such a lack of execution over those first few games. It's it's just like I can't even really comment yet on him fully. I can't really answer your question totally, Drew, because in terms of Gase's play calling, because like you say, that's the first week he was really able to actually try something and have it work to where he wasn't just left with, you know, spinning his tires in the mud. So he, he had a real chance to – for the very first time, show us some of the things that he's willing to do as a coach and able to do as a coach. But again, it was just the offensive line, and it's been bad since Tannehill got here. He is the most sacked quarterback in that time frame in the NFL, but it's been bad. But weeks one through four, it was, I mean, it was supremely bad. So he wasn't able to do the things that he was really trying to do. And we really just saw him do that for the first time on Sunday. So I, I wish I could give you a better answer and some better insight. Um, I think he, he is a smart guy, but we haven't seen enough of him trying to do something and, and have not blow up in his face because of lack of execution from the personnel. So do you think that Miami has the right amount of talent for Gase's style of offense? I think we're thin. I, we, we do have the talent, but I think we're very thin, um, at, at guard especially. And obviously we turned uh, Billy Turner and Dallas Thomas loose. It's not. It's a move that not one Dolphins fan that's been paying attention for the last uh, however many years would have anything bad to say about addition by subtraction. Well, if I, but, could, say, well, uh, if I could stop you right there. That was another thing that Ron Caniff and I talked about on Monday night when I was on his podcast. He said to me, because I asked him, you know, you guys recently purged a whole bunch of players. And I asked him, how does that, you know, well, as a fan, when you see your team doing that, what does that say to you? Are, are you panic? You know, are you like, oh, my God, they're panicking? His response was that no, because under Joe Philbin, there was zero accountability. Right. No one was ever held accountable for their failures. And so it, it sounds like this, you know, Adam Gase, for being a young guy, is throwing his weight around his head coach early. He's trying to set the tone there that, listen, I'm the man here. And if you don't if you can't get on my page and you can't do what I need you to do, then I don't need you here. Absolutely. And that's got to do something for the mindset of your team. You know, it's, you know, a lot of, I guess, maybe the less informed would have looked at the product initially and thought, you know, well, we're in for more of the same. And it's just they look like the same team from last year. But guess what? There's nothing about this team that's even remotely the same from last year. So, you know, it's it's tough to really put it put it in those terms. Um, this is this is a completely new slate, a completely new era. And 
we have to be patient, even though we've been being patient. You guys know about being patient. Oh, I mean, nobody knows more about being patient than Bills fans. You know, it's we're always we're always just a few moves away, right? But then yep. something happens, you backslide and you hit the reset. So, I mean, it this this current iteration, we don't know anything about it yet. Um, and anyone who would want to make up their minds after six games, quite frankly, if you're jumping to conclusions like that, I, I question your intelligence level. Well, now I'll tell you this: one thing I do know about your Miami Dolphins through, again, statistical research, things that I look at. Before the season, Adam Gase told everybody that the deep ball in football is overrated and that accurate short yardage passing was the future of the game. Looking at the statistics, now you were just talking about how Ryan Tannehill, you know, they couldn't be an effective offense. They couldn't get things done the way they wanted them to, et cetera, et cetera, through those first couple games, considering that this is only, what, your second win? Yeah. So well, I it's almost like the first one doesn't yeah the first one doesn't even feel like a win because of the way we, it happened. We won on the strength of the uh, Cleveland kickers' mistakes. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I think this was our first uh, convincing win. Well, I'll say this: even though the statistics haven't turned into haven't resulted in W's, his theory might be okay. It might work out for you guys. Here's what I'm seeing: right now, Miami is fourth in the league for yards gained per completion. With 12.3 yards per catch. The only three teams above them are Carolina, who obviously, again, you would think when you're looking at the hierarchy of who's getting the most yardage per catch, Carolina, you wouldn't think that, right? Because of their poor record. New England and Atlanta. Now, Carolina doesn't throw, they're not throwing much, you know, and that's boosting, you know, their, their fewer. You know, they're kind of like the Buffalo Bills. They try to run, try to run. When the run doesn't work, they try. To, they, they have two actual receiving threats on the entire roster. So they don't throw it a lot. So that might boost those numbers a little bit. But at the same time, the Miami Dolphins are 18th in plays of more than 20 yards with only three of them on the season. So what that says to me is that they're preferring to throw those five to seven yard passes instead of airing it out. And but, but that plays to your guys' strengths. I mean, you have Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry is by far one of my favorite receivers to watch play the game of football. Because he's a guy, yeah, he's not going to burn you down the field. But you know what? He's a mismatch because your corners, your cornerbacks in the slot are going to have a hard time covering him. Linebackers can't touch him. And at the same time, if he gets the ball in his hands three yards out, you'll tackle him 12 yards later. Yeah. I mean, the well, guy is I mean, light. He's definitely something special. If you if you get him in space, like you say, give him the ball in space, he's probably going to do something impressive. Um, most of the time, I mean, he he he's not infallible. No one is, but yeah, he's just a very nifty guy. Um, great possession receiver. If you can get him the ball, sometimes those little short or intermediate plays like we saw a couple of times on Sunday, like we even saw in some of the other games, sometimes those short little plays turn into a ridiculous play. So um, he's he's just one of those guys where whenever he touches the ball, the, you, as the opposition, you want to hold your breath because you're not really sure if he's going to turn a little, a little short little pass into a huge chunk of yardage. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so that's the thing. You're you guys have a very a very varied passing attack, and I think that that's something that the Bills defense is going to have to be cognizant about for the entirety of the game, because he you guys have those guys. You guys are going to try to get the ball out quickly. 
which is going to keep us from getting pressure. And you're going to try. You have the personnel to eat up space and short yardage. I think that's absolutely a staple of your offensive attack. And so then I want to turn this around and look at the defensive side of the ball. Now, injuries. You know, the most publicized injuries on your team have been on the offensive line, but you guys have sustained some losses on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, right now. We sustained an epic loss today. Oh, yeah, the biggest one. Number one on my list with a bullet was uh, safety Rashad Jones. Pro Bowl safety. I mean, his season's over now. Confirmed. Yep. Confirmed. He's going to get the surgery. You can't even bring him back off IR because his expected recovery time is what, like eight, nine months? Yeah, no, there's no chance. He's he's done. So then you go down the list, though, and you realize Xavier Howard, your, your guy's second-round pick. Now, I didn't like the pick for you guys, I'll be honest, and that's not me being a homer and saying, oh, I don't want these guys to get a good player. When I look at the draft, I look at from every team's aspect, I you know, because especially teams in our division – between you and me, Vero, I I can't stand the New England Patriots. And I keep hoping that there's going to be a day where the rivalry stops being between us and New England and starts being again. You know, the, I want to see that renewal of sure, the Dolphins. Sure, the Kelly Marino days were the best. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I've got friends who are Dolphins fans. One of my best friends, Bob. The guy, he's, he's, a, he's a Dolphins fan at heart. He, he roots for the Bills, but he can't help himself. He's a Dolphins fan. I long for the days when I can sit down and our two teams go head to head, and he actually gives a shit about it. See, that's why. That's why. <laughs> so I root for you guys in the draft when it comes to you know who you guys are stocking your team with. So to see you guys take a guy like Xavier Howard, who didn't play poorly, you know, I mean, he was up and down as a rookie will do if he's thrust into the starting lineup, but now he's out three to six <laughs> weeks with a knee injury. I mean, how severe do you think that is? Well. As you say, we've been ravaged on both sides of the ball, so I think we're all very reticent at this point. Every time you hear something, you sort of cross your fingers. It isn't bad. You know, I almost wanted to make myself believe that after a few days they were going to come out and say, oh, Rashad Jones injury, not as serious as first expected. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> wishful thinking. So, yeah. um, And then you got Chris Culliver. You guys brought him in in free agency, and he's still not back off the pup list. Well, actually, he's he's back at practice. Is he? Uh, he's well, back that's... at practice. I I I don't think he's going to be playing on Sunday. You can't quote me on that, but mm-hmm. I'm I don't think he is. But yeah, it was reported uh, either yesterday or today that he's back at practice. And then one of your longtime linebackers. I remember when you drafted this guy, and I had high hopes from him because I watched him play in college. Koamisi. He went on the IR with a neck injury. Yeah. So, and then you got Chris Jones. You know, again, he's a depth player on your defensive line, but I think that he was another, you know, he's another chunk of that depth. You were just saying, you guys are thin. You know, well, so- yeah, and at linebacker especially. I mean, Misi, um, he's not a fan favorite. He hasn't earned his way there. Um, he's kind of just been a serviceable guy. Uh, but, yeah, that was one area where we really couldn't stand to take a hit. But to be honest with you, I, I wasn't impressed with even our starting candidates the, the linebacking core is our weakest unit by far. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, even a even a loss like Meese, like I say, he's not a game breaker by any means, but a serviceable guy, even that hurts because the depth just isn't there. Um, we're, we're now, you know, figuring to field guys that, that wouldn't have a chance to start on another team. So 
Yeah, it's tough. And it's going to, it also doesn't bode well. I, I don't know what the deal with uh, McCoy's hamstring is, but uh, if he's going to go or not. But one way or the other, even if he doesn't go, um, yeah, it's the run is stopping the run is obviously a serious problem for us. The statistics bear it out. That's not just a tale of the tape there. It's, I mean, you can see it on the field. So, uh, well, and so that actually brings me to one of my next points. I'm going to kind of nicely segue into this. Sure. You're talking about your lack of linebacker depth. When I look at your starting, so who do you have? You have uh, Jelani Jenkins. Kiko Alonzo. Of course, your your guys' export, Kiko. Former (laughs) Kiko Alonzo. When I look at what your linebacking core is right now, what I see is a bunch of guys who are more, almost better suited to be like passing down defenders. You know, it seems like they're more suited for playing li- coverage linebacker than they I think are. You're, I think you're giving them a lot of credit there, Drew. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just uh, saying as far as their physical makeup, they don't strike me as the kind of linebackers who are going to come fill the box like a Brandon Spikes, like a Zach Brown, like well, a Preston on, Brown. On paper, you're correct. But that would, I mean, that's sort of giving, like I say, that's giving them more credit. Um, like I said, they're not – a a group that would be a starting group on a, on a less needy team. So it's, uh, it's tough. Now, at least Kiko in the middle um, re- regarding him and you guys know a thing or two about him, but at least for me, the, the stature is a problem He's against a thin the run because He's he gets lost guy. behind those huge linemen. Yep. And sometimes if he's not patient enough to diagnose the play properly, he'll go, he'll lose, he'll just jump into a blind spot because he's he he just doesn't have that ability to see over linemen like that. Oh, That's yeah, just no. my theory. I don't know if it's something you guys observed while he was over there. Well, when he was a part of our team, when he was a part of our team, one of the biggest knocks against him, one of the only knocks that he ever got when he was in a Bills uniform because I mean the guy made interceptions, he made tackles for losses. He did a lot of he did a lot of great things for the Buffalo Bills. I, re- I, spe- I specifically remember the Tampa Bay game, mm-hmm. the long touchdown run for Doug Martin. He's he completely missed the tackle the play. or misread the play. What it is is that he's slow to diagnose running plays. That is not his forte. So what he'll do is he'll take an angle that he thinks the ball carrier is going to take, but a lot of the time he's wrong. And he when he's lost. wrong, he gives up a lane. We started a game against Tampa Bay last year. You Actually, two years ago. You probably don't know because you don't follow our team. So the very first play from scrimmage, they had a backup line. They had a backup running back in. It's it was, a, it's I think de- it was Rainey. It's a, it was Bobby Rainey, and it's a delayed handoff. The line opens up a hole. Kiko Alonso is completely uncovered. There's no one actively blocking him. He thought the for whatever reason he thought the running back was going to go off tackle. So he comes running downhill at the tackle position. Completely leaves his spot. You know, the, the spot on the field and on the defense where he's responsible for it and leaves a hole that their running back just takes the 80 yards to the house. Mm. And it's like that's the Kiko Alonso that fans here were kind of frustrated by. Well, you we know, haven't seen – well, okay, let, we haven't seen either end of that spectrum. <laughs> we haven't seen the major liability Kiko. But we haven't seen the major impact Kiko either. So it's funny, though, to hear you call them your biggest uh, – Spot, you know your your weakest link, 
Oh, it's the problem group. Because I got to ask you a question here, and I think it's obligatory, given that you've got our guy over there now. But uh, rather, okay, so moving on to the defensive end position, rather than maintain Olivier Vernon, you know, young guy, homegrown talent, who, albeit, hasn't done a whole lot for the Giants, but. You guys let Olivier Vernon walk and thought that the answer was picking up Mario Williams in free agency and then just retaining Cameron Wake instead of releasing him after his surgery. The two of those guys have combined for two and a half sacks, one forced fumble, ten tackles. Well, before we address that, you know who we're talking about. Now, another, another AFC's rival now exported and put in our lap Mike Tannenbaum. Oh, That's what yeah. you talk about with those sort of head scratchers. If you're, you're talking about personnel decisions, and that was that goes back to him. But without really dredging up too much of that, I just think uh, it's very difficult to sort of assess the defensive line because as as I was speaking on earlier, the the lopsided nature of the snap counts has been ridiculous. I mean, there were games where the offense. It had, I don't know, like 40 snaps and the defense had like 80 in somewhere in that neighborhood. Like we, it was it was so ugly for so many weeks in that regard. It's very difficult to, to look at the stats or lack thereof on the defense when, yeah, OK, you should be more earlier in games when you're still fresh. You should be producing more. But from second quarter on when they they've just been on the field so much more than the offense you start to not even put it on these guys because they're just you can tell they're just so gassed you're not supposed to play double the amount of plays that your offense plays well no as a and, defender. And, and you're right about that you're 100% right about that but i think the thing that bothers me about your defensive end position first off we we call that we 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 actually talked about it on a podcast about 2 weeks ago it was after the Cincinnati game. He was a, Mario Williams was approached by the media, and he was asked the question as far as, you know, what, what's going on with your performance? What's happening? And his, his explanation was, oh, the ball's just coming out too fast. Our second basically pinned it on the secondary, saying that they have to do a better job covering so that he can do his job, which, A, I hate to say it, but I think that's bullshit. I, I just, I, I, but that just smelled of Mario Williams to me. Because the guy I knew was the guy who showed up here, earned the first two years, three years of his paycheck, and then just mailed it in for the last two years. And basically forced our hand into cutting him. Now, what I look at is I see a team that won their second game of the season when they played Cameron Wake for most of the game and benched Mario Williams for all but 13 snaps. I mean, Adam Gase called him out in the media and was just like, we're going to need more effort from this guy. And then Sunday, he only plays 13 snaps. I mean, Mario's clearly in Adam Gase's doghouse right now. Do you think that given the way he's playing and the numbers that he's putting up, and then you've got Cameron Wake, who in more snaps got a sack and a half? I mean, he, he's single-handedly at this point carrying the sack line. <laughs> I, do you think that the defensive line might benefit from less Mario Williams? Well, and I think he was always just intended as a stopgap um, and we didn't, we, you know, we didn't know, I guess we gave him the benefit of the doubt. Um, but that to really put it on him and say it, that his effort level is a severe problem. It's again, it was, 
you guys, I, I don't know how many Dolphins game you caught. Maybe you hadn't hadn't caught any, but it was not. It was not football. Well, it, it, you can't really even judge because it, that's not even what was taking place on the field. The game of football wasn't happening. Well, I know, and I and I watched a bunch of the Dolphins games because yeah, you have Drew has the ticket. I remember we watched the Titans game, and I watched the whole Titans game. I watched I watched the entire Titans game. I watched the entire Bengals game. What I saw, okay, there was a, there's a couple plays, and they reminded me of a couple of Mario's last plays here in Buffalo. When Mario kind of knew, he saw the writing on the wall and was like, I'm going to get out of here, he got lazy. I remember here in a Bills jersey, there was a couple plays, one of them against your Dolphins. Okay, There was a game where you guys were here in Buffalo. He has He's chasing a running back in the flat. And as you know, uh, Lamar Miller's kind of nearing the sideline, he just kind of pulls up, I think just assuming that the running back is going gonna, is gonna to run out of bounds. But he left him almost three and a half yards of space to work with. And you know Lamar Miller. The dude had some quicks. Yeah. So he turns on a dime and runs upfield for seven and a half yards. And runs then runs out of bounds. And at that point, I'm like, okay, you have to put some effort into tackling these guys. So now I'm watching Thursday Night Football where your group is playing the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. There is a tight end. They're running Gio Bernard off, le- off right tackle. There is a tight end who is one-handed blocking Mario. Like, he's just got one hand in front of him blocking Mario Williams. Williams just has two hands in the air, kind of almost outstretched, and Gio runs right by him. And he doesn't even make a grab at him, doesn't. He just stood there. To me, it smacked of that lack of effort that he had with us. because, And mind you, you guys were down by two scores. But in my mind, that's when you need a guy like Mario Williams to step up. So yeah. to see that type of a play out of him would frustrate the hell out of me on the couch as a fan, much less the coach on the sideline who has to stand there and look at the guy. Yeah, I mean, his movement just doesn't have any pop. Um, and to, to somebody you know who's not taking the, his recent track record into account, let's say a Dolphins fan that had absolutely no idea what he was doing in Buffalo prior to his arrival mm-hmm. – you would just think that he's an older player that's sort of losing a step. No, and that's and that's what it looks like. And I think that combined – and I said it earlier when I was talking with your buddy Ron. We talked about Mario and how he's, he's one of those guys where I think if they, he was on a winning team, he'd come in fresh. You know, you'd see that excitement from him. And even if he didn't have the pop anymore because he's, he's old, you know, he's seen a lot of snaps – even if that was the case, you'd see more enthusiasm in his game, and I'm just not seeing it. So I'm yeah, just. No, Wor- I mean, it, I don't want to call him heartless, but for lack of a better term. <laughs> so I'm just worried that he's gonna his presence, kind of like how our you know we let him go and our defense improved. No one saw that coming. The fact is, is he his presence? He didn't play for you guys last Sunday, and your defense improved. Maybe his presence is kind of a detriment. Hey, I, I'm not going to rule it out. Uh, I want to see him. I, I would like to see a, him play a, a good stretch where I actually notice him. That's, <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's the thing. So, I mean, t- to your point, yeah, it could be an effort thing, but it also could be a career winding down thing. I, I'm not really sure, <clears throat> but 
he was not – I mean, he was, wasn't going to be a long-term plan anyway for us. No. But, yeah, you sort of hope that a guy's at least going to lay it out there, you know. And, and it, yeah, it just seems like he's very subdued. And I'm not sure if it's because he can't or he won't. So I don't know. I think it's because he won't because if you, if, you if you go back a few years, you know, Houston doesn't re-sign him. And so now he's a free agent and he chooses to come to Buffalo – if you're coming to Buffalo in your prime, you know that you're chasing you're chasing uh, the bank account and not rings. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you that actually brings me to my next two points because I think he his lack of performance has hurt you guys in these next two categories. First off, rushing defense. Statistically, we touched on it already. The Dolphins are the second worst rushing team behind only the 49ers, <laughs> who we just shredded for over 300 yards. My knee-jerk reaction would be to blame your linebacker play, kind of as you touched on earlier. Because physically, like I said, they strike me more as coverage linebackers than actual guys you know, Guys your who are knee, built to your stop Your knee-jerk reaction in this instance would be an, probably an accurate response. <laughs> okay. So then I guess i got to ask, who do you think is the best run stopper on your defense right now today? He just went on IR. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna, see, so that brings me to the next question. The injury to Rashad Jones is a huge blow. Now, I got to know, was he a factor in your rushing attack? I mean, your response pretty much sells it. He was, he was our answer to the run, to the run game. Um, but, you know, anytime your safety is your leading uh, tackler, especially on rushes, you, you've got some problems up front. So, I mean, it's all interconnected, obviously. But the loss of Rashad Jones – it, it even it, more so than what it suggests on paper it just it cannot be overstated because he brings more than just his skill set it's his it's his attitude and and the way that other guys react he's from a very the things that he does on the field he's a lead by example sort of guy he's a very willing tackler that's one thing i've always liked about rashad jones is that he's one of those guys who he is not afraid to take on tackles head on he doesn't, he'll take on blockers if he feels like he has to. The guy plays with a reckless abandon, and it's, it's – Now, I will say this. The one legit touchdown that the, the Steelers scored, that uh, Hayward Bay there, I think yep. it was, uh, 65 yard. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy that he ran over in the second level, to, much to my surprise, was Rashad Jones on that play. Wow. Um, Rashad had him dead to rights, should have brought him down for about a 10 or 11-yard gain – and, uh, you know, everybody else missed too. But, yeah, I mean, I was surprised because I don't think I noticed it on first viewing. And then I saw the replay and I was like, Jesus, that's fucking Rashad Jones that just got just stampeded by a, a receiver. So that was a little bit telling. But I, I don't know. I mean, like I say, you can't really put a price tag on Rashad because he's valuable in more ways than just how he contributes to the game plan. All right, well, uh, let's, well, let's talk about pass defense, okay? Now, you're talking about losing your Pro Bowl safety. You right. guys had the 14th-ranked pass defense coming into this game. You've allowed nine touchdowns, and you've only, ta- you've only corralled in three interceptions. Now, how does this loss you know, affect what your team's game plan turns into in terms of protecting against deep passing? Do you think that that makes you guys less likely to blitz, knowing that you don't have that Pro Bowl safety covering, you know, the back quarter of the field? Well, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you answered your own question. I mean, of course, that's 
it's a huge it's huge we we are very thin um so yeah you're not going to want to commit five six however many guys seven guys to any kind of blitzing attack and you, you're going to have to try to get pressure with your front four um which might be asking a lot but yeah no you got to you got to play more conservatively without a cushion like Rashad Jones to no, provide well, so it sounds an awful lot like you guys are going to be kind of lacking in the pressure department, which has kind of been what bit, it's almost what bit San Francisco. Last week we talked about San Francisco's lack of a pass rush and how it gave Tyrod Taylor the time to kind of roll around, use his feet to extend plays and find open receivers. And it sounds an awful lot like with this injury and this, you know, the lack of the coverage on the back end, you guys might fall into that same trap. Well, even I mean, even not taking anything away from him, but even if we hadn't lost Rashad, I mean, it, that what you're describing is an ongoing problem. So, um, yeah, I mean, and and we've we've been really struggling dealing with you over the last uh, season two here, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't, I really don't know how it's going to affect what we're trying to do. Um, I don't know if Joseph changes his game plan up at all or if it's just a, you know, next guy, get in there, do your job, and try to see how it goes. Not sure, but it, it, I think the key is is to really just kind of mix up coverages and not try to become one-sided in any, any kind of a way. You don't want to build a tendency – in one way or, or, or the other. So you got to try to be as varied as you can, even though you've taken a loss in the personnel department, you, you got to try to change it up. Cause I mean, if, if you go one dimensional, it doesn't matter if it's the bills, doesn't matter if it's the Titans, as you saw, mm-hmm. um, if, if you, if you allow yourself to become lopsided in any kind of a way in this league, you're going to get taken advantage of. So no, and you're uh, right. You're, you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I think a lot of it's going to depend on, how we fare with stopping the run because we're not going to have to worry about how how you deal, you know, against the pass if if you can't stop the run because Rex Ryan will just continue to run it down your throat if it keeps working you're not going to stop doing it obviously so oh yeah no well and so that brings us to our last segment here keys to victory now every week we take a look at the team we're about to play and we break down three points three things that I think the Bills need to do in order to win the game so for this upcoming matchup. Stop me if I'm wrong. First one, play action passing. Okay, given the struggles you know against the pass and the run that your defense has had this season, I think we need to use one to set up the other in this game. You know, you've got a depleted secondary. There's injuries out there. There's plays to be made. You know, even though our wide receivers who are you know without Sammy Watkins, I still think that between Charles Clay, guys like Justin Hunter, guys like uh, Marquise Goodwin, they can still find ways to make plays. But it's gonna, they're, they're going to need time to do it. And I think that given how prepped your defense is going to have to be for the rushing attack, this is a perfect opportunity to roll out some play-action passing, some bootleg passes, things of that nature, in order to kind of catch you guys off guard. The second one, veteran offensive linemen have got to remain dominant. Going up against players like Sue, Allen Branch, Jason Jones, Cameron Wake, the left side of our line is going to need to continue their strong play. 
they're all going to have to match up against the guys in your defensive line one-on-one. You know, because even with Mario Williams only seeing limited snaps and with his lack of effort, I have a feeling he might be motivated by things outside of your coaching staff to come in this Sunday and play well. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, he knows what what uh, Bills fans and, and probably people inside the Bills organization said about him and think about him. And, yeah, so if that's not – if that's not going to motivate you to to bring it to a level, then maybe you don't you just don't have it in you anymore. No, I know, and that's fair. I just and so what I think is that leaving our right tackle on one on one situations with Mario Williams is a bad idea because if he does come to play, that could turn into a train wreck really fast. And then our defensive line needs to win without help. You know, I think that if our defensive line on its own can find ways to generate pressure without additional linebacker help, it's going to allow us to show more zone blitz formations. And that's just going to work to keep Ryan Tannehill off balance and contain your yard-after-catch opportunities. You know, if you can play a linebacker and a safety in a zone in the middle, box out the receivers on the outside, while still getting one of those dog blitzes or an A-gap blitz from your linebacker every now and again, it's going to be enough to keep Ryan Tannehill in the pocket, and I think that that's one of Ryan Tannehill's biggest faults, if he has any. Because I don't think he's a bad quarterback. I really don't. What I think he lacks is a certain amount of pocket awareness. He, he's still trying to learn when to take off and when to stay pat. And if he gets confused by defenses, it's almost like he tries to buy too much time with his feet instead of just tucking the ball and running. And I think that if our defensive line can get enough pressure on their own without us having to commit cornerback blitzes and linebacker blitzes, we can win that matchup. Yeah, I mean, and I think uh, blitzing especially, I I wouldn't, I know Rex Ryan likes to, you know, mix up with exotic packages and he likes to blitz, but, uh, you know, we do have that sort of quick hitting passing game that we were mentioning earlier so if anything, you would probably blitz us less than you would typically another team, and you might need to blitz us less. Um, of course, with it depends. If the if our offensive line comes out the way we did versus the Steelers, and it wasn't just an anomaly, um, you're going to have your hands full generating pressure to begin with. Mm-hmm. So it, it's all a matter of you know who shows up. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see about that. But uh, honestly. Um, yeah, obviously you always want your front four to, to be able to generate pressure on their own and sort of free guys up for other things. But I think if if we have one legitimate complaint, Tannehill supporters within Dolphins Nation, because we're a highly polarized fan base, uh, maybe the worst in the league in terms of you know fans that disagree with each other within the fan base. Um, but if you're a Tannehill supporter, maybe one of your legitimate – uh, qualms is that maybe he doesn't tuck and run enough. Not just that he he isn't aware of when to do it, but he has an athletic ability to run the football pretty quickly down the field, and we don't see enough of that intentionally done. Um, so I think we'd like to see Ryan Tannehill run the football more. He can do it. Um, he's he's had a, a few games where you know. It, he was our leading rusher through the first for the through the first few, um, which says you know more about our lack of being able to do anything than anything else. But the kid can run the football, so I think for us that would be something that I would like to see. 
and for you guys, something that you have to keep an eye out for. Um, you you want to keep T- Tannehill contained in the pocket, and and like you say, give give yourselves a shot to to get him off balance before he can really get into his progression. Um, but you know, from my end of things, obviously, I I would I would like to see him get out of that pocket and maybe just have a few more design run plays. Um, because that's the other thing. Kid can take a hit. He hasn't missed a game since he's come in the league. He's the most sacked quarterback in the league. A lot of quarterbacks would have been knocked out by, you know, some of those hits alone. And the kid just, you know, keeps on going. So, hey, I, I'm not as worried about him as I would be about a, a more frail quarterback or one that I perceive to be. So let him get out there and uh, sort of put his body on the line a little bit. So that's what I would do. And, and, I think we might try to do that under the circumstances. And so, like I say, for, for, for your end, you, you want to keep him bottled up because he's, he's less effective from within the pocket than he is on the move. On the move, he's one of the better. We saw it last week. He had that ridiculous pocket escape. And then he's running you know, almost directly to his left, and he still gets turned around and bombs it you know, 50-some-odd yards down the field. He's mm-hmm. better throwing on the run. Then he is stationary somehow, somehow. Hey, Ben Roethlisberger's done it for years. Yeah, so, I mean, you really, for you guys, you want to keep him bottled in. You don't want to let him escape that box. All right. Well, there you have it, guys. So, where can these guys find you? Are you on Twitter? You know, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm on Twitter, at DolphinsRuleAll. And, uh, and you can also come to orangeandaqua.com. Don't know why you would want to. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what? You'd be surprised. We get Dolphins fans who follow us on Twitter, who follow our stuff. You know why? Because we try to incorporate a little bit of everything out of the division. Because I, we're not, we're not. I may be a drunken jackass, but I'm not an asshole. Yeah, and when, when we have a division game, we want to be able to get people on that. I want no, that perspective. We we need the other team's perspective. Well, it's sort of turning back to what you were saying when we first jumped on, though, too. It would be nice to not be able to feel, you know, sort of a kinship with Bills fans and among Bills and Dolphins fans. Mm-hmm. It'd be nice to get back to a sort of bitter, bitter rivalry where, you know, I hate you assholes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's really not there anymore. And it, we've all sort of focused our our laser beams on the Patriots because of, you know, their their cheating ways and their just their domination, just their domination of our division, their success that went along with it that we've had to deal with, and and just that forms a ball of bitterness in our stomachs. But well, I'll tell you this: no. hopefully, this week's game is a step in the right direction for us renewing a renewing an awesome rivalry. Yes, it would be nice to enter a new era of Dolphins and Bills rivalry. I'd like to say that. Yeah, because that's what that's what, Dolphins are always my number one hated team from being a. When I was a kid, watching those Marino and Kelly matchups. When, when those matchups were what everyone was talking about. Yep. Oh, absolutely. So, Vero, thank you so much for coming on with us tonight, man. I really hey, appreciate Scott, it. I appreciate you having me. <laughs> All right, guys. And that's Vero from uh, from OrangeAndAqua.com. All right, guys. And before we get out of here tonight, on a more serious note, I want to talk to you guys about something. Early on in the season, I spent a large portion of my time on our podcast and our Facebook Live broadcasts Talking about us finding our identity again as Buffalo Bills fans. You know, finding that sense of community and our empathy, not just for the players and the coaches, but for each other. 
you know, and for family and for everyone else involved with the football team. And in the time that I spend doing this show and out there on social media, I've come into contact with a lot of different people. You know, fans, detractors, current players, former players, trolls, and armchair quarterbacks. Now, through my interactions with you know, some of our current Bills players, I've come across a guy who fits a number of these definitions, and I think he could really use our help. The guy's name is Bernard Blake. He's a former NCAA cornerback out of Colorado State University. Undrafted free agent of the Green Bay Packers. Guy was, a, you can Google it, he was listed as a 6th round to 7th round prospect, high, you know, or a high priority undrafted free agent, which is where he eventually ended up going. You know, he, the, the Green Bay Packers called him as soon as the draft was over, signed him to a contract. Guy was known for his physical style of play and for his toughness. His nickname is Bam Bam. I mean, that should tell you a lot about what you need to know about the guy. He's only the third player ever to be selected to join an NFL roster from Colorado State University. Unfortunately, he was released one week into training camp after being diagnosed with a brain aneurysm that doctors thought was a sinus infection. It was crazy. I mean, it, it turned the guy's life upside down. Since then, since he's got medical treatment and everything else, he's visited multiple teams and he's still working his way to get back into the NFL. Most recently, he met with the Buffalo Bills and befriended a number of individuals here based on his heritage from Texas. You know, he's from Texas. He knows a lot of the guys who are on, who are on our team. He's a guy who some, a lot of them consider as a friend and whom his family looks to as an inspiration and their rock. Last week, his younger brother Eric tragically took his own life. He and his family are trying to get through this. And, you know, they've opened up a GoFundMe account in order to try and help them cover some of the costs of his completely unexpected funeral expenses. Now, most of you don't know this, but I myself had a similar experience with this in my early 20s, which makes this a really sensitive subject for me. And I can't imagine what this guy and his family are going through right now. I can't. I'm going to include a link to their campaign in the description of tonight's show. And I would just ask this. Even if you can't donate, simply leaving a word or two of encouragement would mean a lot to, to both he and his family. I think, guys, let's do what we can. You know, whether you're a Bills fanatic, whether you're a part of Bills Mafia, whether you claim to be Bills fan, let's try and help out the family, friends and family of some of our own here, right? The guys who put on our jersey every week, let's try to give their friends and family a hand. I appreciate it. It would mean a lot to me. Guys, it's all the time we got for tonight. Sorry we kept you here so long. We do have one more spot. 506sports.com. <laughs> yeah, where, can, where can folks find the broadcast this week, Chris? Buffalo to Utica. South Florida. Orlando, Tampa. And south of there. And for the people that live in Maine and New England, you get... Buffalo at Miami on CBS, 1 o'clock. We'll be in the Fortress of Solitude, I hope, with Bob Gutierrez watching <laughs> that football game. The announced team, Tom McCarthy and Adam Archuleta. Wow, we have the not even D squad. That's like that FZ. That's a, that's a ZJ squad. Christ. 
Tom, I don't even know who Tom McCarthy is. <laughs> He's no Spiro Adidas. <laughs> He's no Spiro Adidas. Guys, thanks for coming and checking out our podcast tonight. We'll be back next week with our uh, recap of this weekend's hopefully victorious game. we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pile Report.